0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Brew. For this episode of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast, we're in Chicago, Illinois, and in fact, this episode is going to air on the very first day of the Festival of Barrel-Aged Beers, the reason why I am here in Chicago. Uh, It's a quick turnaround on this episode, but joining me, uh, I actually hoofed it out on the train today to Geneva, Illinois, and we're sitting here in the Geneva Geneva Lagerworks side of art history brewing in Geneva, Illinois. And joining me are Tom Rao and Greg Brown from Art History. Welcome to the podcast, Tom and Greg. Thank you. Thank you very much. We've it's been this is a fun one to do. We I met Tom was it 2017 or 2018 at the uh, Brewery Accelerator event here in Chicago. It was 18. 18. Okay, um, but we met right here in Chicago at, at the Brewery Accelerator event that we did downtown that year. And, uh, you know, as we normally do in the brewery accelerator, we do lightning pitches that you know first night of the accelerator, Tom and his art history pitch won the lightning pitches that night, uh, and won a full page. They won some other stuff, a full page ad and craft beer and brewing uh, yeast pitch and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, and so we have been paying attention to what was going on with art history. You guys opened up in 2020 uh have expanded and then the craziest stuff started happening like our writers like Cabernet pitched me on a story about art history um you know and it's fun to watch and see these things come back things that i have not planted out there with folks um but that are right stories that our writers have brought because you all have made some waves out here in the Chicago brewing world of course Greg's got a long history here in the Chicago land brewing uh and this nice little web because uh you know some other brewers that have trained under Greg like uh like Lane from Roaring Table, are also making their own waves here in Chicago. And so the connections are deep. Um, There's lots of great lager. And the coolest part of it is that art history has been growing over the last several years by innovating by making traditional beers innovating by making lagers, innovating by making like, working out deals with Binnie's to to sell things like ESB and brown ale in a special series through this. Like, And it is the coolest thing to think about innovation is going back to a lot of these traditional beer styles that need to be promoted, need to be loved. Um, and there is an audience for if you just uh, connect them with folks. So we're going to talk about lager brewing through this. We're going to talk about making some of those traditional style beers. And we're going to talk about the art history approach to making those beers. But first, GD Chillers, the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, are proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. GD Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. Want to maximize efficiency in your chiller. GD's microchannel condensers are designed for less power draw. Their lighter weight and more compact design uses up to 70% less refrigerant which means a lower GWP and lower operating costs. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG and their partners, HVG, who bring you the very best in German hops, including Amira, the latest from their hop breeding program. With its classic hoppy, slightly herbal, and zesty lemon aromas, it's the ideal hop for those looking to capture the traditional flavor of a classic German lager. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And as your brewery making its own ciders, seltzers, and other beverages beyond beer? If you need a central source for fruit flavor, Old Orchard has you covered. Old Orchard supplies flavored craft juice concentrate blends to beverage brands for the production of beer, cider, seltzer, wine, spirits, kombucha, and more. Flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Well, I want to dive into everybody's brewing history because uh, you all have separate histories as well as a mutual history. But Tom, why don't we start, uh, you know, talking about your own beer history and uh, you know what drove you and Cindy to to launch Art History Brewing?
1: Well, I think uh, we have to look back to um, the late '80s when uh, the uh, growing up in Canada, we had uh, access to a lot of uh, English style beers, but uh, there are a lot of uh, controls in um, home brewing. And uh, what happened was uh, they relaxed the uh, rules, and we got a chance to do a little bit more home brewing. And um, <clears throat> I was always excited about uh, styles of beers that I would get from Europe. Um, we uh, um, tried a little bit of home brewing, but I could never make <clears throat> never make a good beer that uh, I could actually uh, buy from uh, uh, you know from you know from a uh, from a store or get poured on a tap at a local pub. So. <clears throat> um, over time I gave up the home brewing and uh, just started drinking beers from around the world. I was always a big fan, but uh, the home brewing thing kind of went in the background until probably about uh, 2014 a buddy of mine had a nice uh, home brewing system and got back into it and uh, realized that uh, uh, you know there's a lot of uh, progress had been made in terms of what you could do uh, on a home brew system. And I got back into it myself with a with a homebrew system, and around the same time, um, found myself uh, at the short end of a uh, corporate uh, downsizing. So I had to figure out what I wanted to do, um, and then uh, I think the the bug was there, and uh, uh, decided to think uh, about uh, getting a formal education in brewing. At the time, thinking maybe I'd like to brew, but some smart people had advised me that um, if you're going to get into brewing at this stage. Uh, find yourself the best brewer you can, um, run the business and uh, you know set up something that was gonna be successful with a, with a really good commercial brewing program. so uh, we um, uh, uh, Cindy and I decided that we would uh, get into this uh, business uh, um, from a business ownership perspective, but I did uh, uh, attend uh, you know the doman's uh, Siebel Institute, um, the international um, Brewing uh, program, and uh, was able to spend some time in Europe and then, rekindled that uh that uh that taste for traditional european lagers and uh um and that really uh drove the decision that how we want to uh, set up this brewery and so the search was on about uh how could we find the best brewer who could actually uh, make that happen and then i'll pass that on to uh my colleague here and
2: that that wow. led to you greg wow that's uh gotta live up to that uh so I moved over here in 92 from Australia, um, and I didn't like your beer, sorry. <laughs> uh, so I figured I could do better myself at home, so I started homebrewing. The, there's a Monty
0: Python line about uh, that, right? Yeah,
2: probably. Um, so I uh, started home brewing and learning about beer, um, and I uh, had a friend who told me that the map room was looking for someone to teach a beer school, uh, so I... Went down and I did that. I did that for just over 20 years. Uh, it was at the map room that I met uh, Nick Floyd, and he told me he was leaving uh, to open a brewery. Uh, you might have heard of it. It's called Three Floyds. And so I went to work for Nick uh, at the Wine Keller Brewery, and uh, he left to open open his brewery. Uh, spent a little bit of time at the Wine Keller uh, then I went to Seaball in um, ninety six, got out of Seaball, uh, started working at Goose Island uh, Fulton Street Production Brewery, uh, worked with a couple of people there you might have heard of, Jim Seaback and Mac back, Brunelson. Uh, yeah, those guys. Yeah, I've always been surrounded by greatness. So um, so I worked at uh, Fulton Street for- Seaback for those who are-
0: uh, Brewmaster for Revolution and, of course, Brindleton, Firestone yep. Walker, just yep. just so everyone's
2: clear. Yep. Uh, so left uh, Fulton Street to work at a brew pub in Wrigleyville. Uh, that was a little ahead of its time, so it only lasted about nine months. Uh, worked at a variety of brew pubs, pretty much exclusively brew pubs, since uh, around 2000. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm back at a packaging brewery after 25 years and I got to relearn it all again. So, um, but yeah, I hooked up with, uh, Tom and Cindy. They were opening a tap room and, uh, I thought that was, yeah, I was happy. It's a tap room. I get to do whatever styles I want. And then COVID hit and, well, we got to sell this beer to somebody. So, had to, uh, transition into packaging and, uh, Luckily that took off. We we're um the liquor stores, bennies, bars and restaurants like the beer. So yeah, that that you know, that got us through. Um and you know, Tom and I were kind of on the same page. You want to do the classic styles, uh, especially lagers, so that's what we were doing at the tap room. And uh kind of seems like lagers may be having a little bit of a thing, especially here in Chicago. So, uh they decided to uh, go full steam here and open up a uh, Geneva Lager Works, a packaging brewery. And so
0: you went from a ten-barrel a pub system to now—is this a twenty-barrel kind of uh, multi-vessel, yep. uh, you know, production system here at Geneva Lager Works? Yep.
2: Went from your classic two-vessel, ten-barrel, um, you know, brew pub tap room system uh, where I was doing my best to make good, authentic lager, uh, kind of half-assing it mostly. So, when we decided to do this, I'm like, we have to do it the right way. We have to do like a German style system with four vessels, uh, horizontal lagering tanks. Uh, I didn't do decoction, but I have a steam heated mash mixer. I can do as many temperature rests as uh, my heart desires. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to do it right. You know, I mean, I knew that that would make a difference with the lager.
0: Sure, sure. Well, we will talk about some of those difference makers. You know, you've had some, uh, you know, some very particulars in the way that you've set up that brew house in order to, to brew exactly the way that you want to do it. But Tom, um, talk to me about, uh, you know, this the focus of art history in terms of styles. I remember that lightning pitch a little bit, and you were talking about even then focusing on some of these classic styles, which really felt in 2018 like it was counter trend. And I think that might have been one of those things that everybody kind of like, even if we wanted to say, is that really going to work? Yeah. There was also something about it that felt like maybe it was time that maybe that there is some space for this. And of course now, you know, we're absolutely seeing that there is this logger Renaissance between, you know, dovetail and goldfinger. You all, I mean, there's a, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of of fantastic. And then, you know, not only that phase three, roaring table, everybody's Mm -hmm. making a lot of folks are making great loggers these days and i'm sure i'm leaving people out and i apologize for that um you know but nonetheless the competition is also really really tight you know and so you have to make great loggers in order to to be able to be noticed for making that um you know talk to me about coming up with this because that's not all you make you also make some ipas you also do feed the tap room with some you know even some hazy ipas uh, west coast ipas you know traditional beer might be the primary love and there are multiple you know you'll have a different uh, German style pilsner, different Czech style pilsner on at the same time, Hellas, uh, you know, dark lagers, all of you know, like this big spectrum of lager on every day. Talk to me about developing that, you know, that beer plan for art history and what you wanted to be known for, and how you all went around making that work.
1: Well, I think it started when uh, um, <clears throat> took a trip out to the East Coast. And uh, you know we on we're on that uh, you know that classic journey to visit uh, Alchemist and Treehouse and Trillium and uh, you know and go and take a look at um, some of the best of the uh, hazy and the best of the um, the northeast style that uh, was really really hot in like 2017 2018 and the original thought was you know I really would like to brew something like that um, then we ended up at Jack's Abbey and we started drinking some of their lagers and um, what really uh, struck us was the um, they would take a base lager and they would do a single hop you know version of it and i remember tasting a sabra hop for the first time in their base lager and saying you know there's something really unique that you can you can um, you know lagers don't have to be uh, one dimension you can take a a really nice solid malt base and and, and treat it with a you know a different hop a different um uh, a different even different ABV and uh, that lightning pitch that i put together was really about um you know the lagering tanks and doing different sort of um single hop and different versions of lagers i think that was the original um thought process and um that was before going to europe and then saying well there's something also really special about noble hops and the traditional styles and and um Uh, you know, in the classic, uh, you know, uh, hop uh, varietal. So um, coming back here, there was a a, a period of time where we said, well, we don't want to give up on the IPA. We don't want to give up on, you know, what people are drinking because, you know, as a business, you have to, you know, um, attract as many customers as possible. But um, there was a space. There was a space for lagers. There was a space for doing something special. And so um, – through a uh, common acquaintance, um, you know, I got uh, uh, introduced to Greg, and um, we had a phone call, a couple of emails, and it really was, um, you know, what, what sort of classic styles do you like? And his was like, you know, uh, I really like a Northern German Pils. I said, that's kind of my second favorite style. I really like a Czech, you know, pale lager. He goes, that's my second favorite style. And from that point on, I think we kind of knew that, hey, if we could do this then, you know, the ba- and get the basics done and do it well, then I think we can, you know, we can uh, uh, expand and try other things. And, you know, we weren't thinking about, you know, West Coast cold IPAs at the time um, or uh, anything like that, but it was really about uh, uh, trying to, um, you know, at least get the basics done. And so I think uh, Greg and I did like uh, 13 batches of um, beer in my garage uh, in 2019 and it was on a five bar- a five gallon Blickman system, and I had all this stuff. I had the hop rocket, I had all this pumps and all this stuff. And he looked at, it. he said, you will know, get rid of all that. Just give me three vessels, give me some, you know, temperature control, and we'll make the beer." And we <clears throat> got rid of everything except, uh, you know, the real basics. And he showed me process was the the key. And it really didn't matter. You know, the system is important to a certain degree, but the 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 process was the key. So his last batch of gravitas on the five. Gallon Blickman system, we actually put a, um, a sextel of that uh, as we were opening the tap room, and it was gravitas, and you could not tell the difference between that gravitas and what he was brewing on the ten barrel, you know, commercial system that we had, and that kind of said, okay, you know, I, I, you know, that that spoke to me in terms of our, we got this, I think we can do this. Uh, you know, the first few beers we put out were, you know, a pale ale and a West Coast um, IPA, which is you know because they were the you know the quickest to brew, but Behind those came a, um, you know, a Czech pale lager and a northern German pilsner, which is what we really wanted to to go you know um, live with, and and that really was uh, I think the defining moment. And so okay, we we know what we want to do, and uh, how do we do that on this <laughs> on this cobbled together you know ten barrel pub system with horizontal serving tanks behind the bar?
0: Not necessarily designed to brew lagers on this small pub system, um, but hey, you all make it work just like brewers everywhere do. Use the equipment you have to make the beers that you want, and you find the ways around the limitations of the equipment. Um, it's a story as old as time. Well, I want to talk, uh, you know, about that process of lager brewing and uh, how you all focus on that from ingredients, creative inspiration, through that the kind of uh, you know technical process in the brew house that helps make uh, you know you capture this character in your loggers. Uh, before we do that, Pro Brew is excited to announce that they are currently featuring short lead times between two and four weeks for their in-stock ProFill Rotary can fillers. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, fill out their contact form at www.probrew.com or email contactus at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. Those they're they've got those fillers just north of here in Milwaukee. It's not very far Waukesha. It's not very far away, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, and you like wildly aromatic IPAs and tropical lagers. Good thing Omega designed thialized yeast for just that reason. Thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. And wait, there's more. Omega yeast makes yeast to order with a consistent one week lead time, ensuring peak freshness and reliability. Also, we all have busy lives these days and can't afford to waste a day stuck on the couch because of a few drinks the night before. ZBiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. ZBiotics is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Give ZBiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash beer and brewing. That's all caps, beer and brewing to get 15% off your first order. When you use code beer and brewing at checkout, Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about your approach, the art history approach. Now you both agreed the German Pilsner and uh, Czech Pale Lager were going to be the you know some kind of core beers for art history. Um, where'd you go for the inspiration? Where did you then start? How'd you start building recipes from there, Greg?
2: Well, I I guess I just went back to you know the classic styles of those beers, and before I started at art history, I had a little bit of downtime. I went to um, the Czech Republic. It was kind of the last destination on my bucket list. Um, tried the uh, Urkel there, fresh. So when I got back, it was that flavor was fresh uh, in my mouth. The diacetyl. Di- 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 well, we, <laughs> No, I'm just, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just well, kidding. Well, actually, at the brewery- You learn to love it. Yeah. You really do brewery, love it. At the brewery, I yeah. didn't get any diacetyl. So, okay. Um, Prague, that was a different story. That's so,
0: true. The the Urquell the, the, uh, at the brewery tour right. that's open fermented in the basement. Oh. It, even though they'll tell you that, oh, it's just like our- It is its
2: is its own beer. That was one of the happiest moments of my life, was yeah. getting that beer out of that tank. Um, So- uh when we were doing our pilot brewing, um, I think one day we were brewing uh, our hazy IPA, which uses a lot of golden promise. Um, and I tasted the wood. I'm like, you know, that really tastes kind of like an Oquel sort of malt profile. So um, when I was doing the Czech uh, pale lager recipe, the gravitas, I thought about adding a little bit of golden promise in there just to accentuate that that malt character, because we don't do decoction here uh, on this brewery. Um, So I needed that malt. Uh, So we add, I think it's about 20% golden promise, and the rest is uh, Bohemian Pills malt. Um, And we use uh, a hop from Michigan. We use the Zupa Saws. We don't Mm -hmm. use the the Czech Saws. It has a little more fruit character to it, but it's a much higher alpha, so you don't have to use as much. And to me, I, I wanted to use the Urkel yeast, uh, the authentic yeast, um, the notorious diacetyl producer. So I get that. I, I think that's key. I think that yeast, the only way I can describe it is that to me, it has a little bit of a shortbread sort of character to it. It's just a very distinctive flavor that you get from that Czech, that Urkel yeast. Um, and then as far as the North German pills goes... My favorite beer, probably on the planet, is Bitburger. Um, so I basically wanted to make a Bitburger. Um, so I use a, a very light colored malt, um, use tetanin, that whatever hops I use, I guess. You say light colored malt, what do you mean? Uh, it's it's uh, Best Heidelberg, and that's about a 0.8 to a 1.2 oh, color. Right. Really, yeah, really yeah, light. Yeah, Bilsner. yeah, yeah. The hops, I, I think it's a secret, whatever Bitburger uses. But I use uh, mostly tetaning, a little bit of Pearl. Uh, and I'm looking for that nice, dry North German Pils flavor with that that bitterness, but not too much sweetness. Um, that's, that's, those are probably my two favorite beers. So that's kind of where I, I, I came from to, to get those recipes.
0: Let's go, I want to come back. Let's start start with the Czech Pilsner, because I want to dig down on this a little bit. I think it's interesting that you might blend Turo in with Pilsner malt, to build this kind of idea of body in lieu of some of the decoction that otherwise yep. might uh, capture that. I mean, when, when Joe and I were in the Czech Republic earlier this year, yep. mean, you, everybody heard it on the podcast. Brewers describe those, their beers as sweet. Yeah. Like you won't find a, a single American brewer who's going to, you know, call their pilsner a, a sweet. Yeah. Every single Czech brewer will use the words. They will use the word sweet to describe yep. their, their beer, that it has the sweetness to it. And that sweetness is the the key to drinkability, the pito nost you exactly. Know, um, you know, be, they because these beers have heavy hop loads, they also have to have this malt character that they they call sweet. We wouldn't, I mean, we're in full pastry mode here in the United States, and so sweet has a whole different connotation of right. beer here. You know, but for that, you know, so so you know, talk to me. I think that's an interesting way to go about solving that problem in in lieu of decoction. Um, you know, how did you? to uh, develop the ratio for this and uh, you know h- how have you tweaked that over time um, and how do you really think about what exactly that uh, you know that malt character that golden promise does
2: well one thing I discovered I'd always wondered how does Urkel get that color just using Pilsner malt and it's it's always when I get a chick Pilsner somewhere at a brewery and if it's not that color I'm like that's that's not a chick Pils that's you know like a German pills. You have to have that color, I think, to call it a Czech pills. But when I was doing the tour of Urkel, on the wall they had this schematic, you know, like the generic schematic every brewery kind of has. And, you know, they told us earlier on the tour that it's all steam. Well, I was looking at the schematic, and underneath the, um, the decoction cooker there's a little picture of a little flame. I'm like, could that be real? Could they actually, like, use fire like just this on this one vessel
0: just for the decoction just for the decoction
2: and i heard a a lecture from the urkel brewmaster i I you know i might be wrong i think it's correct i think that's how they do it they have this this vessel with a uh, direct fire with a chain spinning around at the bottom to prevent scorching and that's how they develop that color and also that sort of slight melanoidin flavor And so the way I get that is to use this golden promise. Just a little bit of this golden promise, which just sort of amplifies the the malt character a little bit. Does it give you enough of that melanoidin, you know, kind of
0: note? Then Uh, it it wouldn't seem, you know, just you know, from the surface that you know, it might be the same kind of, uh, you know, character.
2: Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I'm
0: not trying to call you out on it. But, I'm just uh,
2: curious to like. Unless Tom and Cindy want to buy me a direct fire <laughs> cooker with a chain <laughs> spinning around at the bottom. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I think it's enough. And,
0: it and, needs a direct fire uh, system yeah. now, sure.
2: But there is that flavor in right, right. And and you're right, it is under-attenuated. That's part of the character of that. They, they want it under-attenuated. um but you've got to have that flavor. Well, I think
0: that decoction also just locks in some unfermentable, you know, yep.
2: um,
0: just just because, just through that process. And so, you know, maybe, I don't know if I call it under attenuated as much as like it, there is just something that won't ever be able to attenuate. And it, You know, it's that weird thing where it strikes you at first as a little bit sweet when you start drinking it and then it creates that magical dryness as it exactly. finishes because the beer's dry exactly it just dries you know it, it changes over time and so it feels like as you start taking a sip that oh this is delicious you know and indulgent and then by the time you finish you're like oh i need to take another sip right? it's
2: it's it's a masterpiece and one of the great things about being here in Geneva Illinois and i was very happy to hear this uh when i came on board is the crazy thing is the whole water supply of Geneva, Illinois is RO water Um, and they just allow enough to bleed back in to give it like the barest amount of mineral content so we have super soft water here Uh, so you know I'm responsible for some of the quality of the beer, I think the water is responsible for a lot of it Um, it's just the perfect uh, base to make that style of beer I mean I really don't do anything to it I just add a little bit of uh, acid to, for the pH, but th- the water is just unbelievable here. And you go, you know, one town either side of us, and the water is horrible. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're very lucky in the, in that respect. Sure. Well, let's keep talking about that check logger. You also want to you know
0: keep some body in the beer. Um. You know, is there anything particular to your mash? You know, you're you're obviously going through a step mash process here. Um, You've also built here at Geneva Lager Works, you've built a louder ton uh, with some dimensions that will specifically allow you to mash and louder in the way that you want to do it, to be gentle
2: on these beers. Talk to me about that. So I do, um, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it completely wrong, but I do a hook cuts, uh, which means short and hot, um, which is something I hadn't heard of up until like five years ago. And I was doing some reading And I started, you know, learning about this, which is sort of the German cheat for decoction. Um, It's a two-step mash. You do a, it's about a uh, 64C up to about a 70C. So what would that be, about a 147 up to about a 158. Uh, So you do those two steps and you sort of maximize your, uh, you know your beta rest and your alpha rest um so i do that and i was doing it at the taproom brewery but i was i was doing it just by pumping in hot water from the hot liquor tank and kind of you know guesstimating it uh here i just push a button and the mash mixer does it automatically um but yeah i want to you know i want to hit all those all those numbers and uh you know get as much and it's a, a fast
0: move then between the two temperatures.
2: Yeah, it's usually it's like thirty minutes at one, about a twenty-minute raise, and then a thirty-minute at the at the next one.
0: And what is the you know conceptually what is that uh, you know that mash regimen? What is the intention? What does it do to duplicate uh, or replicate the idea of a decoction?
2: I think just going through those temperatures. Uh, so with a classic decoction, I'm no expert, but you know you start kind of low, and then you use the decoction to to go thr- slowly right. through all the temperature steps. Um, this kind of uh, replicates that in some way. Uh, is you just as you go through, you hit all those all those temperature mm. points.
0: Cool, cool. Um, yeah, but then you also within your louder ton. You've built an oversized, ladder ton, not for the reason that a lot of brewers today are doing it to make giant double IPAs, triple IPAs, <laughs> or uh, yeah. imperial stouts. You know, with uh, you know gigantic mash bills, but so that you can uh, maintain a you know a grain bed that's uh, right. rather low. Talk to me about right.
2: that. Right. Yeah. So at the at the uh, taproom brewery, uh, we had the two just the classic two vessel system. Uh, it was undersized for a 10-barrel for a system. So the grain bed and the combi mash louder was, it was probably like two feet deep for just a regular 12-plato beer, which, you know, you read any good brewing text, that's completely, you know, wrong. Uh, so over here, uh, we have the nice oversized Louderton. It's a 20-barrel brewery. The Laudaton's probably, you know, for a 25-barrel brewery. So the grain Bed depth on a twelve-plato beer is probably never more than a, a foot deep, um, and just the efficiency from the Taproom Brewery moving over here jumped up like ten percent.
0: Yikes! Are there any other, in addition to efficiency, are there any, you know, flavor benefits in terms of you know like tannic malt extraction or uh, you know distracting flavors that that you know more gentle mash approach produces?
2: Uh yeah I you if I mean the quicker you can get the the work through the grain bed um you know it that probably cuts down on the amount of tendons you're you're pulling through um and you know you're obviously extracting more work from from the louder ton um we don't have to run the rakes at all it pretty much just you know works its way through so mm.
0: yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the you know the Czech pale lager. Let's talk a little bit about the you know the northern German pils a little bit more. Um, you you know similar mash regimen on that. Uh, uh, that one I imagine is all pilsner malt just because it has to be so light and uh, uh, and so
2: focused. Right. So the the north German pils that's pretty much all uh, German pils malt. Uh, nice light colored malt. Uh, same hook-cuts regimen. Uh, as the Czech lager, I just want a nice dry, dry uh, character to that beer. Mm-hmm. Um, we hop it with uh, tetanang and pearl. Um, and I, I'm just looking for that nice, clean bitterness with that beer. Uh, just, you know, super cleanly, a little bit of malt sweetness, but uh, I just love those nice, dry uh, North German pills.
0: Sure. So what was it about that uh- uh, you know, best
2: uh, best Heidelberg, best
0: Heidelberg. Okay,
2: it's a nice light color, um, and it also has like a little bit of a sweetness to it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I know both some,
0: of those things uh, together. It sounds uh, uh, unusual. Yeah,
2: it does, but it, somehow it delivers. Yeah. Huh. Uh, um, but yeah, I just I just love those those beers. Those really drinkable North German pills Uh, my first brewery stop when I I ever went to Germany was at Bitburg. So sure.
0: So, uh, what's the? You, you mentioned you're using tetaning hops. Um, how are you know? What's the goal in this in terms of you know bitterness, but just but also hop flavor? Is there a way that you might describe the hop flavor that you're going for here? I mean, we can talk about it in generic noble hop terms, but uh, you know, there definitely are different lanes that these hops fall
2: into. Uh, how, how? What's your goal for yours? So the I use a little bit of Pearl. Uh, that kind of rounds the flavor out a little bit, and the Tettnang just brings this spicy character to it. Just this beautiful, clean, spicy character, uh, which is you know what I really like about those th- those styles of beer. Uh, it just comes comes in quickly, delivers the bitterness, uh, and then it's gone. It's not lingering. Mm. Uh, the tetaning is just it's just a beautiful hop. Why why blend
0: the Perle or Pearl in there too?
2: Uh, I just think that rounds it out a little bit. Okay. Yeah, and I think probably those breweries up there probably use more than just two hops. Uh, but I'm going to keep it as, as simple as possible. <laughs> just just use those two and uh, dial that in.
0: Sure, sure. Is there anything else to the, the German, uh, German Pilsner that uh, you think is a real difference maker in your process? Well,
2: the big thing uh, is, of course, is the lagering, which – we couldn't really do we, we. And we had horizontal lagering tanks at the tap room, but we were using them as serving tanks. Uh, so over here we have uh, the horizontal lagering tanks, um, and you know I was making the same beer over there as I'm making here, and, and the beers are definitely better just from the just from the lagering time. Uh, you can really taste the difference.
0: Yeah. When you say that, what is it? What was the difference?
2: To me, I kind of compare it to like, you know, the old stereos had the graphic equalizer and it kind of cuts out the highs and the lows. That's to me, that's what lagering does. It cuts out like the just the highs and the lows and everything's just right down the middle and you just get a beautiful, clean flavor to it. Just rounds everything out. I was kind of a skeptic, but we put them in anyway. And when I tasted the first beers out of here, I'm like, you know, those Germans are right. This is why they've been doing it for 500 years. Is they'll run to something here. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it's a thing.
0: In audio terms, it's like a there's a it's a compressor, right? Oh, you, know,
2: okay. you would uh, you know you compress the
0: the highs and the lows, but by you know pushing by narrowing down the band of that audio frequency into the middle, you can boost the the uh, impact. You can boost the volume out of that, and so. Um, but the compressor is actually the secret to radio voice Oh, there you go. it's that it's that thing that makes the radio voice so rich it's a trick that, that we use when producing this very podcast so maybe you could say that we lager every every episode of this podcast before it comes out um maybe we shouldn't say that uh, <laughs> let's talk about some of the other loggers you do also some of the smoked loggers you do because uh you know in fact your highest scoring beer with craft beer brewing was the Foston beer uh, which scored a 98 with the blind judges of Craft Beer Brings. So let's maybe you know switch gears, talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, who doesn't love free samples? The Perfect Puree is offering a free sample box of their frozen fruit purees, concentrates, and blends to professional brewers. Picked at the peak of ripeness, their fruit is pureed and frozen for optimal fresh flavor and color. Explore classics from red raspberry and blood orange to unique fruit juice blends such as Yuzu Lux Sour. Choose from 40-plus flavors and build a free sample box at perfectpuree.com slash beer. That's perfectpuree, P-U-R-E-E dot com forward slash beer. Complimentary to professionals only. Also, this episode is brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops. The seventh annual Pink Boots Blend is now available for pre-order. $3 of every pound of the Pink Boots Blend purchased will be donated to the Pink Boots Society, a nonprofit organization that supports women and non-binary individuals in the fermented and alcoholic beverage industry through education. Place your orders from Yakima Chief Hops and secure your volume of this limited blend for your Pink Boots Collaboration Brew Day on March 8th, International Women's Day. Learn more at www.yakimachief.com slash pink-boots-blend. Let's uh, let us talk about some of the other lager styles that you brew um, the beer, the beer that's in our glasses now, actually is a beer that where you have a, there's a recipe for this beer in craft brew, craft uh, beer and brewing magazine. It's a Veritas or uh, Veritas. It's uh, a Czech dark lager. Um, that uh, that recipe appeared alongside the breakout brewer story a few years ago that Kate Bernat wrote on you. Uh, she was inspired to write that story because you all. Uh, she, I think she had your beer at Hop Leaf, and uh, this is actually the House Dark Beer at Hop Leaf. Um, and she pitched us on writing a story about you. It's was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know art history. Uh. <laughs> so uh, so she wrote the story. You, you all contribute to this. And if you are a subscriber to Craft Beer and Brewing, you can go on uh, on our digital archives on the website and on the app and uh, dig up this recipe or uh, search for it on the website and uh, make your own version of it if you choose to. But let's talk about this one, Greg. Talk about uh, brewing dark lager uh, in the Czech vein. Uh, again, wh- where was your inspiration and how did you set about making this beer in a way that, uh, you know, because while it's dark it, and there is a little bit of, just a little bit of roast character, which is definitely uh, in line with some of the, um, you know, uh, Czech dark lager that we've had in in the Czechia. Um, you know, you have to be very careful about uh, brewing this in a way to kind of maintain the balance that's expected out of it. Talk to me about
2: designing this uh, Czech dark lager. So when I was in um, Prague, one of my goals was to go to, uh, a brew pub I'd been reading about for 20 years in the Michael Jackson books, uh, which was Ufleku Yeah, yeah. Supposedly the oldest brew pub in the world. So I I was so excited to go to this place. So I went to Ufleku and I drank the beer and I'm like, you know, it has almost sort of like a porter quality to it. It's you know, it's not like just getting a check pale lager and adding some dark malt to it. It's it's really a, a beer unto itself. And, and a fair amount of sweetness in the beer, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I came back. I'm like, I want to make that. I want to make the Ufleku version of uh, of this beer. And I have a book uh, that was written by uh, Thomas Wyman and Horst Dornbusch. It's called Brewing Dark Lager. And guess what? It's about brewing dark lager. Uh, and there's a recipe for Ufleku beer in there. Uh, so I basically use that. Um, to start with, I'd say the only real difference I use uh floor malted bohemian dark malt. Uh I use the Zupasaz hops from Michigan because the hops really are not that huge of a deal right. with this beer. Uh but I did want to use the um the, the floor malted bohemian. Uh and I guess that comes from a you know very traditional uh malt house brewery uh in the Czech Republic. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty much all Czech, uh, and beautiful Geneva water. Uh, and you know, I've heard some, you know, some people say, oh, it's, 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 you know, there's two schools of thought, I guess, with this style. It's like either the, kind of the Czech dark, which is just sort of a, a a very light version, I guess. And then there's sort of this heavier bodied version. I kind of prefer this, but I think some people are like, well, that's not really a Czech dark because it's, it tastes too roasty, but you know, there is, you know, a background to it. So.
0: You know, I, when we were drinking uh, dark lager in, in the Czech Republic, we had some that were even smoky, you know, that, that the range, again, there's, there is always a range just as there is in any style anywhere um, saying that anything is one thing uh, it will be quickly disproven by traveling to and visiting a number of breweries you know that are all making these things there are as many different ex- expressions as there are breweries that make Czech dark lager um and like i said you know some some actually have a little bit of smoke character to them um this this is maybe not as sweet as the Ufleku version i thought that uh, Ufleku's version was ha- almost had like like a vaguely saccharin sweet note on the, on the very top of it. Um, you yeah, know, that is not there in this, this is definitely maybe a touch more robust in that sense, um, where it's supporting some of the sweetness with some of that flavor. But, uh, um, you know, and then because you're not decocting, you're not having to uh, go through some of the other you know questions, uh, you know, some of the other issues with making a dark beer using uh, a decocted process, where you certainly don't want yeah <laughs> cook all of these dark malts. Um, you know, but you're also trying to leave some of a little bit of that sweetness to you know kind of support the the heft in this beer. Talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Well, I just you know I didn't really want a beer that was if you closed your eyes, it would kind of just taste like a, you know, like a Czech pale lager. Um, I wanted something that stood by itself uh, and had all those notes to it. And like I said, I, to me, the Ufleku is very sort of porter-like. I mean, I don't know any of their fermentation temperatures or, you know, their process, but um, I really wanted to get close to that and, and do something that, you know, that kind of paid tribute to that.
0: Sure, sure, um, and you know, in terms of uh, you know sweetness, where does this where does this beer finish?
2: This one's about three three point four, huh. so yeah, it's yeah. it's up there, yeah.
0: And the the beer itself it's a twelve
2: degree. That's a twelve degree, yeah, yep. We do a we do a twelve degree uh, varitas, and the holidays we do a uh, it's about a fourteen Plato uh, check dock. Uh, Wenceslas is the name of that one. We actually have that lagering right now. Mm. Um, so that's sort of our uh, supersized check dock. Supersized, fourteen yeah. percent, like five point five percent ABV, right? Right. And it's and it's it's a different flavor <laughs> profile to this too. It doesn't have that six point four.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Well,
2: it doesn't have it doesn't have those roasty notes as much as this. It, um, it's, it's a, it, if you taste them side by side, it's not like just a stronger version of this. It's yeah a, it's a different beer.
0: Um, you know, and what, what's the intention of that one then? Uh,
2: that one, I guess is just, you know, to just have that extra alcohol and maybe not be as roasty, uh, just be a little bit more of a, a warming beer.
1: And from a uh, branding perspective, it's, uh, it's kind of a holiday lager, so it really the um, the package type is you know really uh, celebrating you know the Christmas spirit um, the uh, uh, you know the Saint you know Wenceslaus and and the uh, you know the red and green and it just it's actually one of our most popular beers and uh, uh, we brewed the biggest batch of any beer we've ever brewed of uh, this one we actually had to split the. Batch. We did some of it in uh, Lagerworks and some of it in art history. Uh, just because the demand of that beer is is, um, is actually it's it's actually very special for us on uh, in the holidays. Fun,
0: fun. Let's talk about making smoked beer because uh, there were as we were over at the tap room before we walked over here to the, the Lagerworks Production Brewery. Um, several, several, four, four smoked beers on uh, on the tap list. That's that's a bold move.
1: So I think it starts with um, in the summertime we uh, we like to do a smoked Hellas. Um, we take the um, Good Morning Munich sort of uh, you know kind of starting point, and uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but uh, we're probably in that 12, 13 percent of the the malt bill is is uh, is smoked malt, and that one is um, is probably just using your uh, your um, you know Berman smoked uh, you know Beechwood smoked yeah, and and then. We kind of said, "All right, well, let's keep a couple of those because, <clears throat> you know, we don't want to have let dovetail have all the fun." <laughs> and they did. They did kind of promote this uh, October as Rout Beer Month, and you know we're we're all in. And so last year we had two beers. We had the um, we had the Rauk Beer, which is our um, uh, Goodnight Bomberg, which is about a forty percent or a, a bigger um, Beechwood smoked. It's a true Route Beer. It's it's a, a, a very similar to what you would get in um, in Bomberg. But then we did a smoked tober, which was uh, uh, a smoked wheat malt. Right. It's yeah. the
2: oak smoked wheat from, from Wyoming, yeah.
1: Yeah. And that was uh, sort of taking our fest beer and extending because we would always sell through our uh, tober fest beer, you know, towards the end of September. And we just want to keep going. So we would uh, s- uh, release a secondary version of that fest beer as a smoked version and carry that through October. So now we have this. Um, uh, oak smoked wheat malt fest beer we had this beechwood smoked smallis that's uh, uh, coming you know uh, the last you know vestiges of the summer uh, we have the rock beer and then just for good measure um, we did a smoke porter so that was cherry wood smoke porter and that was done by Carolyn over at art history and uh, we kind of add that to the mix and we said you know if we're going to do smoke we're going to do smoke and so all those beers are pouring and uh uh, they're actually, you know, um, a very big percentage of what we've been pouring in a tap room. Really? All October? Really? Yeah,
0: just because of October being smoked Beer Month.
1: That's right. We we uh, now we'd like thank to, you
0: dovetail, but you can't have all the fun yourself. You can't have all the
1: fun, and we'd like to make it bigger. But uh, you know, there's a I think there's a tops you know a top limit to how much smoke beer you could do. So maybe you know four is uh, might be the limit. But again, fasten beer, which you earlier mentioned could be our, uh, uh, our, uh, you know, our Lenten smoke. So we're going to try to do something every season. So, um, you know, there'll always be a smoke beer available.
0: That's fantastic. They had, uh, you know, a beer Lent beer uh, on its Schlankerla when we were there in March this year, obviously because of, uh, cause we were in the middle of Lent and, um, you know, man, I mean, really just, a. You know, a beautiful, slightly larger version of the merits, and uh, um, just just slightly more alcohol, and uh, you know, but beautiful nonetheless. Let's talk about uh, your approach. Obviously, there are a variety of approaches. If you look at in that uh, traditional Bamberg, where Bamberg way, you know those those brewers making their own smoked malt, you know, can make it the way they want to make it. So they're making 100% smoked malt beer. You know, I was talking about this earlier today with another burb, you know, when we are looking at it from the Weirman standpoint, environment is designing smoked malt so that uh, knowing that it is going to be a specialty malt that you are adding into your recipe as a specialty malt in addition to base malt. And so it has an intensity generally to it that uh, is there in a way that is meant to be used in a different kind of way than some of these other, be- uh, other you know, malts in, in smoked beer. And that is going to define the way that you design a beer recipe about this. So, you know, as you're thinking about designing smoked beer, like even a light smoked beer, like a smoked Alice, you know, how, how do you how do you start thinking about that, Greg? And how how do you work smoked malt into that beer in order to keep that smoke and balance in the right kind of way?
2: Well, when we first talked about doing a smoked beer, Tom was like, well, let's do like 100% because that's what Schlenkler does. And I'm like, well, you can't use 100% because it'll be a pale beer. Yeah, you, know, you have to if you gonna make it the same color, it has you know, you're gonna have to add some specialty malt. And you're right, it's the process is completely different. From the way Schlenkler or Spezial does it, it's part of their malting process. They
0: make I the, uh, they make hundred percent of their malt, exactly the right color exactly. and their exact spec. Right. But they want it to be with the exact right amount of smoke
2: right. to make their beers. Yeah. Right. So when you're doing it here, uh you have to take into account that yeah, that this this has been, you know, processed in a different way. So I think the max I've ever done is about sixty percent. Um, still a good, still yeah. a good amount. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I like that, but the, uh, but you have to sell the beer at the end of the day. So uh, so yeah, we kind of dialed that back, but. And smoked Hellas, what is what
0: does a grist bill look like for your smoked
2: Hellas? Smoked Hellas, that's about twenty percent. Yeah. Uh the beer. And it's beer, the twenty
0: percent beechwood
2: Yeah. Yeah. The Fosten, Beachwood. Yep. The fasten beer was about twenty percent also because the fasten beer and the Hellas are you know lighter beers. The Fasten is just you know, I'm not claiming my beer is anything as close to Schlankler, Uh but it's a Madsen style beer. Um so yeah, we just kind of want the hint, that sort of background. Flavor, sure. Um, and with the smoked that we did, it's only about twelve percent, so it almost the only smoke sensation you really get is this sort of drying, oaky, sort of barrelly uh, flavor to it. Uh, but I, I love smoked beer. I mean, I, I've Bayernberg might be my favorite German city. You know, I've been there multiple times. I just love drinking that beer, and I think everybody here should know about it. Um and it's not for everybody, obviously. But Bamberg hey, is amazing. Yeah, oh, it's oh my so God. it's amazing, and that beer is yeah. just so great. And even the area, you know, the whole Franconian sure. area is just beautiful, and there's so many great beers there. Um, so we just wanted to double down on it and, and you know promote it in our own small way. And uh, do
0: you adjust any other parameters to the Hellas? Uh, you know, do you you know adjust any you know the kind of uh, you know finishing gravity or try to Leave a little bit of sweetness to to balance out some of that smoke character. Is there any are there any other parameters that change
2: there uh, other than the smoked malt? No, it's pretty much a regular Hellas. Uh, our Hellas is uh, you know got a nice sweetness to it anyway, so um, it kind of it works pretty well. It's embracing sweetness in Hellas. Excellent. Yeah. You know Hellas. I, I, Hellas is one of the hardest beers to make. It really is because you've got to you've got to find that. L- uh that line between hop flavor and that sweetness and also make it drinkable and you know i tinkered with it for a while and i thought i had it down and we moved over here i was lagering and i'm like this is really good and i'm like i thought well you could use a little bit more mineral character because we have that soft water so i added a little bit of gypsum and it sent the bitterness way out of spec and i'm like this is way too bitter so i had to dial that back in so one little thing can really mess it up, so that's why I say it's a very difficult beer to, to get right. The one of the keys to Hellas though is that
0: malt character, and it's again, I know I've, we've harped on this on the podcast in the past, but yeah, uh, you know, the idea that Hellas is not a minimalist beer. You know, it's in in the German sense. You know, no one views it like it's not a crispy boy in that sense. No. In the way that American brewers have started to think about. Like, you know, Hellas or-, or Pilsner, really, they're not, you know, they're not minimalist beers. The idea of Hellas is that it's a celebration of malt. How do you, you know, embrace that kind of malt character? And as you say, like uh, some of that malt sweetness, because that's pretty much key to the style.
2: Well, I use the Bavarian malt. I don't do the decoction. A Bavarian Pilsner malt? Bavarian pills. I don't do the decoction. Is there a specific brand? Is it Byron, uh, or it's, it's the, what we use now is Malt Europe. Okay. Malt Europe Bavarian pills. Um and I use a little bit of uh honey malt to kind of just mm. just a tiny amount, just to you know, give it a little bit more uh of that that melanoid Just a sweetness. couple of percent. Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh I use halital, or halital. And lagering. I think lagering is the key to Hellas. It you know, it just gives it that that flavor. And you know, it's crazy that there's what, there's five five major breweries in Munich making Hellas and they're all a little bit different uh you know some have a little more hop character uh I mean I like Augustina but you have the Edelstoff Augustina Edelstoff but you also have Augustina uh, Volbeer which is a little more hoppier, which is actually what I kind of prefer but it's just not that so, you know it's a, it's a, it's in one city you have this one style of beer and there's a few different interpretations of it
0: sure Sure. Uh, did we did we talk about yeast in this on the German side? I know we talked about your uh, you know using the your quell yeast right on the Czech lager. How about your German your German style lagers?
2: Well, I was using so it was kind of crazy. I was using three different lager strains at the tap room. I was using the Augustina for the Hellas. I was using uh, dry thirty four seventy for the Pilsner. I was using the the Okel yeast and moving over here. I'm like, this is not sustainable. I can't use three lager yeast you know so so i dropped the augustiner i miss it uh but so we we just use the dry 3470 uh and the um Urkel yeast over here that way we can repitch um but yeah maybe one day for a, for a special beer we'll get some augustiner in Sure, sure. Well, and you can use that thirty four seventy to
0: make IPA now too, because apparently anything is possible. Apparently anything is possible.
2: world's upside down. I've been around long enough that I've seen some crazy stuff, but yeah, the last few years have been really crazy.
0: Sure, sure. Well, you know, quickly we're we're starting to get on in time here, but I do want to talk about some of you know the approach to other classic styles. You know, you've got a uh, you know cask pouring. You've got a you know cask engine in the tap room you all have been expanding your cascales and uh, leaning into, you know, building these traditional uh, English style beers. Um, you've also been focusing just on, you know, some of these styles that uh, maybe um, aren't as cool or hip as, uh, you know, as some of the, the haziest and pastriest of, uh, of things today. But in a weird way, it actually makes you a little bit more, you know, I wouldn't say unique, but it, it gives you a focus that, uh, People are attracted to retailers, you know. As as you're starting, to, as you play this retail beer game, you're always trying to provide some, to find some way to provide something to retailers and then to consumers that not everyone else is providing. And as certain things have fallen out of favor, it might create opportunity because there are still drinkers that love those kinds of beers and just don't get them in that way. And so, Art history as a brand is focusing in on how to make excellent renditions of some of these more traditions, you know, traditional styles. Um, and you want people to associate that with the art history brand. Um, so let's talk about, you know, some of the approach to, to English style, traditional beers. Talk to me a little bit about that, Tom.
1: Okay. Well, I'll, <clears throat> I'll start with, uh, um, we got our hands on a, Angra uh, Angram engine um, through a, um, uh, uh, you know, one of our, you know, local breweries that had sit and sit in the basement and, and, uh, you know, Greg said, I, I can do these. And so we um, we converted one of our uh, temperature-controlled uh, kegerators to uh, uh, allow us to uh, put a the engine on it and put a cast breather and, you know, basically start pouring, you know, beers from a FERC and pulling those uh, from the engine. And um, the first couple beers, I think, uh, uh, were interesting. We were just kind of playing around with it. Um, but then we realized that... Uh, you know, people named Simon and Toby started showing up at the brewery, and uh, you know, ordering these beers. And like, okay, well, um, you know, and they were actually saying these these are these are pretty good. So we did a Yorkshire best bitter called Dithering Bitter, and uh, you know, uh, gentlemen from uh, from Yorkshire would just show up every time we put these on. And he'd sit there and he'd drink them, and the next thing you know, we put an ESB on, and then someone else would come out. And so we've developed this uh, clientele at the tap room that would, uh, you know, be looking forward to the different styles. So um, we uh, started acquiring Firkins, and we started uh, building a Firkin inventory, uh, and uh, uh, we were doing all these at uh, the tap room. And then um, uh, as we moved to works with the production side of things, um, things got a little serious. So uh, now we're looking at 20-barrel batches, uh, putting half of that into firkins, um, you know, canning most of it and only having a little bit of draft. So really it's uh, it's packaging and, uh, and firkins. And um, we're seeing some of the, um, the customers in uh, Chicago uh, maybe dusting off some of the old engines that they had sitting around that maybe they stopped using 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we've got a couple of uh, accounts that are just um, – Uh, have re-energized the whole um, uh, marketing and uh, positioning of these. And next thing you know, uh, we get these firkins into circulation. Um, And for the first time in our history, since we've opened the taproom three and a half years ago, um, a cask beer was the number one selling uh, pint, or number one selling draft beer in the taproom, beating out Gravitas, which has been, you know, basically uh, our number one selling um, draft beer, op the lucre in the tap room since we opened. Uh, so uh, Dithering Bitter, Yorkshire Best Bitter, um, uh, basically became number one selling beer in the tap room. So uh, we got a second anagram mention. We're looking at maybe you know expanding, um, you know, having a couple of these on, and now we're looking at different beers that we brew that you know we could pull a couple of firkins of this, and, um, and we have a couple customers who are saying, yeah, show us the the variety. And we see a couple of our um, uh, other breweries in the city starting to do this. Some, you know, may, may have been associated with Greg in the past, and some maybe not. And uh, um, we're really excited about you know building this uh, this pub ale series and uh, having something available in a rotating fashion uh, with uh, uh, some of our customers. And um, you know, the tap room has really been uh, you know the uh, I think the the driving force behind it, but. I'll let Greg talk about how he's how he does this because it's just um you know, these are beers that um they're very different from anything else we brew. Um, but they are in in on brand or traditional, um, they're authentic, um and uh you know, people know that. I'm
0: here for the cask beer renaissance. Greg, uh. <laughs> I never thought I'd love to say that one. You know, every every few years, we we run a little feature package on Cascale oh, just to remind people God. it's still there. Yeah. We have got to bring it back, and and yeah. I joke about this, but every you know, eventually we'll get it right, and eventually it'll be on the the front end of a new trend, and we'll we'll have been there, right. even, even the though cover. even though we've been there recycling, you know, not recycling, but uh, you know, revisiting the topic uh, every few years, just because you know we just gotta you gotta plant those seeds. When it's, right? the,
2: when it's the cover story, I really believe it. But we've we've put Cascale uh, on the
0: cover in the past. I mean, we're a wonky uh, beer magazine <laughs> for brewers. We can get away with that, and some other people can't. Uh, but let's talk about how you how do you uh, you know uh, set about designing a proper proper ale.
2: Well, to be honest, I've been doing it every brewery I've worked at in the last twenty years. I've had real ale. There's been a hand pump, and mostly I've been banging my head against the wall uh, trying to explain it to people, but. Uh, like Tom said, I you know we've been, a lot of uh, expats coming in and drinking it, and if you can please those guys, you know, especially the Yorkshiremen, you know you're doing a good job. Uh, so it it comes down to ingredients, you know, just English malt, uh, English yeast. We use about three different uh, English ale strains, oh yeah, uh, depending on the the region we're trying to uh, the the beer we're trying to make. Uh, Source our English hops direct from England. Well,
0: that's so you you're dialing in yeast to the region.
2: Yeah it's yeast is a big part of the the, the character of those beers. Uh, How
0: different are these these three yeasts that you use?
2: Well, so that we use one from uh, the Midlands uh, so that's for it we make a mild like a dark mild uh, and that sort of has a little bit of a mineraly quality to it. Uh, we use one that's from. Is there is that a yeast that people can get? Not that one. Oh no, no. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I think it's me and Roaring Table. Pretty much are the only ones that have that. How do you have a yeast,
0: an exclusive Midlands uh lager or uh, ale yeast? I had a
2: friend smuggle some back from a from a brewery here, uh, Yorkshire. York- okay,
0: okay, that's a good story though. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, the Yorkshire one, uh, Omega sells it, and that's the 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 beers in Yorkshire, the Northern Pints. They sort of accent the malt a little bit more, mm. uh, so that's sort of a more of a malt driven flavor profile. And in the north, typically they'll use a sparkler on the engine, so yeah. that's that's what we do. Uh, and those are generally not as conditioned as much as the sort of more of your london style so when we do a london style ale would typically use like the fuller's the 1968 yeast mm-hmm. uh again that's a little little drier accents hop flavor a little bit more uh and we don't use the sparkler so we condition the the firkins a little bit more for those um, what's the sparkler do in that scenario the sparkler it's 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 it almost nitrogenates the beer, so you're forcing the beer through those little little holes right. in the sparkling, and just all the all the gas just breaks out and has that it looks like a Guinness cascading. Sure. Uh, I think a big part of why it sells at the tap room is the engine is right there in front of the customers, and they see this beautiful show, and they're like, "Well, what is that?" And then you know they see the bartender pulling on the the engine, uh, so it's all you know, it's it's actually you know it's kind of a show, and and they want to try it.
0: You know, and and uh, you know those beers because it breaks out so much of the carbonation through the pouring process, end up a little bit softer and a little bit sweeter. And exactly. uh, you know, those are attractive beers, especially if uh, you know in this current day and age where you know bitey, you know, heavy CO two beers yeah. you know, can feel pretty aggressive to some folks.
2: Yeah, they're the kind of the anti hazy IPA because they're clear. Well, they should be clear, uh, and they're usually you know around four or below percent alcohol. Uh, and they're drinkable. I mean, the English, they sit in pubs. They want to have beer that can drink. Uh, I don't know how many pints of hazy IPA you could drink.
0: Depends on how it's You, made. you
2: personally, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh,
0: I've yeah, had it's, I've it's, found it, some
2: good ones uh, sh- over the last couple of weeks. It should be a drink. It should be sure, a drink, sure. a drinkable beer. Right, um, right. So yeah, it's, it's, and you know, it's, I think we go through a fuckin' a week, maybe, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it keeps it fresh. So, yeah. It's Are there good. any other secrets that uh, that you found
0: to, to making really good cast scale?
2: It's it's a lot of work, especially when you're doing, you're filling the casts and you're priming and, you know, you're adding the findings and you're dealing with the casts. You know, it, it's probably a lot more work than a lot of people want to deal with. And then if you send it out, uh, which we do, we only send it to accounts that we know right. know what they're doing. Uh this is probably why it's not that you know a bigger thing is because a lot of times it's not good you know it's not, it's not done properly so yeah it's 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 a, it's a lot of extra work but sure. it's it's a labor of love
1: Yeah and the cleaning side is another uh, whole side of things Yeah yeah some <laughs> of
2: these firkins come back and uh I don't know what they put in them but... I don't know what did you put in them
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well you know I always say just because there's just because that bunghole is like Two inches wide doesn't mean you can throw like uh, fruit in there. It's that's not why. It's not why it's like that.
0: <laughs> okay, so hopefully they're not adding their own adjuncts yeah, to your right. uh, English ale for right. or or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, um. Anyway, nonetheless, well, we've been talking for a little bit while uh, for a while now. Let's uh, let's zoom out a little bit. You, know, you all opened Tom in the the midst of the pandemic in 2020 couple years in, you find this success making traditional styles, making a lot of lager. You decide to expand. You open up Geneva Lager Works here, a production brewery um, in the same town as the Taproom Brewery, um, with this big focus on on expanding on loggers. Now you all are in an aggressive growth push. Um, you've got salespeople selling art history beer. You've got some key accounts at some really, truly world-class influential beer bars like Hop Leaf, um, you know, Beer Temple, others here in Chicago. Uh, amongst those that know beer, they're embracing your beer and, uh, you know, and also telling a great story about quality, you know, for art history. What, What's next? What do you hope to achieve over the next five years? You know, what Where do you see art history going? Where do you hope this is uh, when we continue to talk? And I, I come back to you five years from now. Um, what will you have hoped to achieve by then?
1: I think one of the first things that we started thinking because about was- Because we are at
0: five years since we first met. Yes, what's, right. What's the next five years look <laughs> wow. like?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I won't be retired, that's for sure. Uh, so I think that- um, what we're experiencing now is um, the um, uh, we we went in a lot of different directions, especially with having two breweries. We have a ten barrel system, we have a twenty barrel production system, so we've been able to kind of spread our wings a little bit. Uh, we've done things like fruited sours and uh, uh, West Coast, uh, you know, um, you know. We've done cold IPA. I mean, we're trying a lot of different things, but in the end, I think what it's going to come down to. Is, um we're gonna we're gonna find that there's probably a core I don't want to use the term you know uh, looks like flagship but I think there's got to be a return to the flagship styles the flagship beers that you know people are going to um, uh, are going to you know stick with and buy and and and, and want to see all the time so I think our move in the next 12 months at least maybe 18 months is to move from um, uh, trying to do everything and testing waters in a lot of different areas to finding out, Hey, these are the beers that really work. These are the beers that our customers want from us and they're willing to, um, you know, come back and buy. And I think that, um, you know, fo- a little more focus on, on those beers. So I, I think that the the production system that we're building here at Lagerworks is going to be focused on that, um, and producing more of the, the beers that, uh, not only our customers want, but uh, our sales reps that are now telling us, "Hey, if you had more of this, it was always available. This is always going to be something that uh, uh, our customers will always want to have in stock." So, I think that's kind of the the, the, the focus is uh, we're moving away from a tap room focus. The tap room is great as people can come in, they can try different things, um, and um, but we're in Geneva, we're an hour and plus outside of Chicago. Well, yes, um, I yes, I know. I took the train out here <laughs> yes. from Chicago
0: from the Ogilvie Transit Center. Yeah, um, but you know, you, right, you know, it's not a place where you just
1: end up. Right, and 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 we're Some in great breweries right here in Geneva. There's there. Penrose
0: right over here. Riverlands is over here too. Yes, and, we've
1: got uh, Sturdy Shelter just opened up in Batavia. Um, we are surrounded, I think, by nine or ten breweries from North Aurora to, uh, to um, St. Charles to Elburn. And um, um, it's got a competitive sort of taproom market. So, you know, rather than try to be everything to everybody, I think the taproom is going to end up being a place where you can come in and, and try our beers, and it's going to be beer-focused as opposed to hot yoga-focused. And um, <clears throat> I think that's uh, on the taproom side. But on the production side, um, get down to hey, we're going to be reliable for producing the beers you love. Um, um, Maybe not everything, but a really super core of uh, of beers you love and always be available and try to make sure that uh, when we're going to the market like Chicago, which is a huge beer market and a lot of opportunity, um, but um, balancing variety versus consistency. And I think that's really our biggest challenge um, from a production side and from a sales and distribution side.
0: Well... I can't wait to talk to you in five years and see how this is all working out because the beers now are fantastic, and it's great to get out here and see what you all have built and now both of these locations out here in Geneva. And that is a great place to bring this to a close. G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. BSG and HVG bring you the very best in German hops, including Amira, the latest from their hop breeding program. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. Omega's Thialized Yeast Spring Intense Guava and Passion Fruit Aromas out of your malt and hops. Pro Brew has rotary can fillers in stock with a two to four week lead time. Z-Biotics is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. If you're a pro brewer, request your free samples today from The Perfect Puree. And $3 per pound ordered of the YCH Pink Boots Blend will be donated directly to the Pink Boots Society. If you've enjoyed this episode and all the rest that we've put out there for you, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button. And if you're a subscriber, of course, you can go dig up uh, in our archives, whether that's on the website or whether that is uh, in the app where we have the entire Uh, all the back issues of Craft Beer and Brewing back to the very beginning, all accessible to subscribers. However you want to do it, uh, you can access the recipe to Veritas, the the Czech dark lager that we were talking about today. Recipe that Greg has written up for a homebrew scale for you brewers out there. Um, Tom, Greg, if people want to learn more about art history, whether it's in real life, whether it's out there on the internet, whether it's finding it at a local retailer, uh, how how do they find you all? Well,
1: <clears throat> arthistorybrewing.com is a website. We're also on social media with Art History Brewing, um, Twitter, uh, Art History Brew One, and um, you know basically uh, you know reach out and you know give us a uh, give us a shout out on social media, and we'd be more than happy to engage and tell you a little bit about what's going on and what we're doing.
0: Appreciate you both talking to us uh, about how you brew lager. Cheers.
2: No problem. Thank you. Cheers.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.